How I Became a Spy, Chapter 19. Eleanor scribbled furiously, biting her lip in fierce concentration. Eleanor, tell us, I begged. Shh, wait, just a second. I think this might... Oh, I've got it. Eleanor looked up in triumph. It is a Caesar cipher, but Violet didn't use the English word for July. She used the French word, Juliette, which is seven letters. And then she added seven to that, since it's the seventh month. Wow, good work, said David. Violet would be so proud of me for using my French, Eleanor beamed. So the first entry shifts 14 spaces, I said, and that means the alphabet begins with O. I kept working on Violet's message with the shift of 14 letters, matching one letter, then the next. Whew, this takes a while, but I have the first part. Ready? I held up the ciphertext and then my translation. It is still hard to read without the spaces between the words, Eleanor said. Let me write it out properly. In a minute, I had it. I can't believe I have been here for nearly two weeks now. The moon was so bright the night I landed. Let's keep going, said David. If we put the notebook in the middle and each work on a different paragraph, we'll get the first entry decoded more quickly. A little while later, we were done. Eleanor took scissors from her case and cut out our finished paragraphs, then taped them in order to onto a larger sheet of paper. You really are always prepared, aren't you? I teased. Go on, read it. Eleanor cleared her throat and began. I can't believe I have been here for nearly two weeks now. The moon was so bright the night I landed. There is so much to write about, but I must give an account of the night I arrived. I thought the drop would be easy. It wasn't. Things didn't go as planned. I guess they never do. Clouds played hide-and-seek with the big moon, big round moon. At least it was clear enough for the pilots to find the field. I jumped. Yet even as I was drifting through the darkness, clouds billowed up above me in great clumps. The ground was soft and damp. To my relief, the landing was easy. I leaped to my feet. I was gathering the folds of the parachute when I first felt the raindrops. There was a sudden, fierce shower. Someone was supposed to meet me. I was supposed to listen for a low whistle. The rain and gusty winds made that impossible. Once I realized I was alone, I hid behind a tall, thick hedge, hedgerow crammed with bushes and rocks. I was too busy to be afraid. I tied some rocks into the parachute, trudged over to one of the ponds, and dropped it in. I rubbed my hands together. Au revoir, parachute. For some reason, I giggled. I was nervous, yet it felt good to be home on French soil again. It's funny, I'd worried I might forget my training, but I could almost hear my instructor's voice in my ears. Remember, it's dangerous for the farmers. After all, we're dropping British agents, explosives for sabotage, and forbidden radio sets on their land, he'd explained. If a suspicious German patrol goes snooping around and finds a half-buried parachute, or one that is floated to the surface of a lake, that could mean arrest. Knowing that I could cause trouble for someone else made me extra careful. Once the shower blew over, the moon peeked out again. I scoured the marshy fields for the two bags that had been dropped with me. I finally found them in a bog. What a close call. All my clothes, plus the sewing patterns and order books I needed for a convincing cover story had almost ended up at the bottom of a pond. I was especially relieved since I knew one bag contained a shipment of guns, each layered with thick grease for protection, along with a waterproof canister containing ammunition. 
These were for members of the Maquis to arm themselves when taking on sabotage missions at factories, railroad tracks, bridges, or supply warehouses. I dragged the bags across the field and hid them in the thick bushes of the hedgerow. I felt exhausted. By now, I was covered in mud. The rain had stopped, but I still saw no sign of anyone else. It was almost dawn when I decided it would be safer to bury the bags and just take one small suitcase with me. I took out what I needed and began to dig. Luckily, I'd been provided with a short-handled spade. I couldn't have been I couldn't have done it using rocks or my bare hands. Finally, I was ready. I had the directions to the farmhouse where I'd be staying. The spade presented a dilemma. At first, I didn't want to throw it in the pond. How could I dig up the bags later? Then I reasoned that once I made contact, I'd meet resistance members who had access to tools. So I tossed the spade in the water and washed off my hands. I slipped behind the hedgerow. I changed my mud-splattered trousers for a simple brown skirt and jacket and twirled my hair into a neat bun. All the while, I listened for the sound of vehicles. The extra money was also worrisome. I stuffed it into my underwear. It would be found if I was caught and searched, but, well, I would have been, I would have to be caught first. I didn't intend for that to happen. I glanced down at my feet. I'd almost forgotten. Too much mud. I remembered the warning that any small thing could give me away. I took off my shoes, tiptoed back to the pond, rinsed off to the outsides well, and put them back on. When it was nearly light, I heard a low whistle. My escort had been delayed, but he hadn't been detected. I showed him where the bags were buried. He assured me the Maquis would fetch them and deliver the rest of my things to me when it was safe. What a long night, but I made it. The secret word for this chapter is going to be parachute. My host family is kind. The husband and wife pretended I am Marie, a hardworking girl. They don't ask questions. It's safer that way. I love being able to speak French again, and I'm ready to start my new life as a pattern saleswoman. But I can't forget my true purpose. I'm here for the cause of freedom.